Rusty Quill presents. Hi, faithful listeners. It's me, Pippin, creator of the show and voice of Sam Enfield. Today, I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. So, some of you may know that before I started making podcasts, I wrote a lot of novel manuscripts that never got published. The first audio drama I made, funnily enough, is an adaptation of the very first of those novels I ever wrote, Clockwork Bird. And it changed a lot in the adaptation process and it really grew into and became its own thing. And the inception of Spirit Box Radio is actually pretty different because I was thinking of it as a podcast in the first thought I had was to make it a podcast. And it was that kind of the shape of an idea. And while some of the characters had kind of like knocked around in my head for a long while before, or at least versions of them had, um, this was really the inception of the story was to be a podcast and that Sam would host his radio show. However... (laughs) Before I really set my heart on making another audio drama, I did try it out in other shapes and forms. And what I'm going to share with you today is an excerpt of one of those shapes and forms of the story. I've not actually looked back at this since I wrote it all the way back in August of 2020, which isn't that long ago, but it feels quite a while back now. Obviously, the whole of season one is now finished. The relationship, I think, between this story and what happens in season one of Spirit Box Radio is really tenuous, but what I think is quite telling is that from my memory, I want to say that a lot of the broad strokes of the show will be there. So I wrote this before I decided completely that I wanted to make it a podcast. I wrote it almost simultaneously with the beginnings of the script, as you'll see me talking about how the show is structured and how my writing process looks you'll know that I sort of start with an overview of the whole thing and the ideas of how I want people to feel at the end of it before diving in and I kind of write backwards if that makes sense like I don't start at the end writing and write my way back but I start planning at the end and build the story around those themes and ideas that I have in mind other themes and ideas emerge as I go on but yeah I'm just going to stop when it gets to a nice point to stop I guess because I think this is quite short really Um, because I decided pretty quickly that it was definitely going to be a podcast. I was definitely going to make it, and I wasn't going to write it as a novel, so it got dismissed. So it's about 5,000 words to my memory. It's called The Everyday Exorcist, which was a possible title for the show before I settled on just Spirit Box Radio. The reason I changed it and I decided on Spirit Box Radio rather than The Everyday Exorcist was because of a few changes that happened, which really affected how relevant of a title that was. Now we'll stop rambling and read you an excerpt from this story. Without further ado. The Everyday Exorcist. Case number one. Eileen and Rebecca Rose Lightfoot. The woman in the pink raincoat sat down at the Enfield's kitchen table. The raincoat creaked as she lifted a hessian shopping bag up from the tiled floor to hold instead in her lap. Inside it was basil, sprouting from a small hand-painted pot a necklace with a thin gold chain from which hung a tiny heart-shaped locket, and a rolling pin, old, well-used and well-loved, made from polished pine with red plastic handles. Kitty had seen the objects over the woman's shoulder as she let her into the house. As with all her brother's clients, she didn't let her in through the front door, but through the gate on the side, down the little alley between their house and the one next door, past the bins, under the slowly keeling trellis archway into the garden, held up only by a thick, dark ivy which bound it to the fence and the house. This way, Eileen could come directly into the kitchen, instead of walking through the living room, seeing this piles of scattered blankets on the sofa where Sam often slept, 
and the laundry drying on the clothes horse in the corner. The kitchen was cramped, lived in. The counters were lined with jars and mugs which didn't fit into the cupboards. Sam had a little plant on the windowsill, and a few seedlings were emerging from the dark soil, their edges already beginning to curl and dry. The woman, Eileen Lightfoot, was sitting at the table, which was slightly too big for the room. It was usually pushed up against the floral wallpaper, used mostly for chopping vegetables for dinner, more than anything else, but when Sam had clients, Kitty would pull it out, cover the old wood with a tablecloth. It was a navy cotton, worn soft with age, embroidered with stars in constellations whose stitched-in names were mostly illegible. Some of Sam's clients would trace them anxiously as they waited, but Eileen Lightfoot simply sat, holding her bag with both hands and staring down into it. I'm sorry to come so early. My train got in before I expected. Running on schedule, can you imagine? Eileen's voice was straining to sound upbeat, but didn't quite manage it. She looked washed out, the roots of her peroxide hair showing brunette shot through with soft grey. The creased blouse under her pink raincoat looked expensive, but she had done one of the buttons up incorrectly, so it sat awkwardly over the turquoise top she had on underneath. Her boots looked expensive too, and shone with careful polish everywhere except the toes. Kitty took a sip of her beer. He'll be down in a minute, she said, distinctly hoping this was true. She glanced at the kettle. Do you, uh, want a cup of tea or something? No, thank you. Eileen straightened her coat and it creaked again. A glass of water, perhaps? Kitty grabbed a glass from the shelf above the collection of plastic bottles of squash crumbed into the corner and filled it with water from the tap. A little sloshed over the lip and soaked into the tablecloth, turning the dark blue into black. Eileen stared at it. Thank you, she said, her voice quiet and thin. Kitty shrugged and sipped her beer. Kitty usually avoided Sam's clients entirely, insisting Sam wait downstairs for them to turn up. But Eileen was almost a full hour earlier than she said she'd be, and Sam was still in the shower when she knocked on the door. This isn't what I was expecting, said Eileen. You can leave if you like, said Kitty. Eileen pursed her lips. I'll stay. Kitty shrugged again and went to swig some more of her beer, but found the bottle was empty. She chucked it into the recycling bin where it clinked loudly against the others. The kitchen door creaked. Sam's hair was damp from the shower, tuzzled messy and left uncombed. His cable-knit jumper was too big for him, hanging past his wrists so only the very tips of his fingers showed. Eileen, he said. He sounded and looked exhausted. Kitty bit back a suggestion that he just tell Eileen to leave. Eileen, on the other hand, had stood up the moment Sam walked in and was eyeing him suspiciously. If their little house was not what she was expecting, Kitty couldn't imagine what her appraisal of Sam would be. He looked like he might crumble in a strong wind, and from experience, likely would. I'm so glad you came, said Sam. Eileen shifted awkwardly on the spot as Sam stared at her, dropping her gaze to the floor and then staring back down. Kitty swigged her beer and stopped leaning on the counter. I'll leave you to it, she said, forcing Sam to meet her gaze. He nodded once, jaw tight. Kitty slipped past him into the hall and kicked the doorstep aside so it fell almost closed. She hovered a moment, listening to the scrape of chair legs and the gentle sigh Sam made as he sat down. She nodded her head and put her fresh beer down so she could fold up the laundry. It was the first part she hated the worst, the stumbling over words as the clients tried to lay their story out to her younger brother. 
It wasn't the content that bothered her. She'd heard enough tales of woe and misery and experienced well enough of it herself that whatever yarn the client spun, it couldn't shock her. It was the manner of the telling, always stuttered, truncated, fragmented. Memories eked out piece by jagged edge piece. Sometimes they would cry. She couldn't stand it when they cried. When Sam was bad, but she couldn't talk him out of seeing them, she'd lean against the counter with her back to the conversation, staring out of the window over the sink at the dense leaves on the hedge outside, swaying in the constant breeze. He would sit in almost utter silence, leading them only when he had to. Whenever Kitty peered around to look at him, his face was set. He wasn't emotionless, but he was a blank canvas of sympathy. When the clients finished talking, he would take a breath, and the story he had been told would colour him, change him, and the words he spoke barely seemed to belong to him at all. More than the readings themselves, it was Sam's propensity to listen and become the voice the clients needed in that moment that seemed like the most magic to Kitty. Even when they were children, Sam could manage to see the softness in anyone, no matter how reprehensible or selfish they were. She had told this to Sam before and he laughed. He said that empathy was learned, not a gift like the rest of it. Still, it fascinated Kitty in a peculiar way that meant she could barely stand to witness it. Sometimes he would gently take a client's hand and speak quietly, leaning close and talking in barely more than a whisper. Sometimes he would smile and bloom and laugh. Sometimes he was indignant, never at them, but with them, for them, in ways they could not allow for themselves. Kitty was halfway through balling up the socks when she heard a chair scrape again. She paused, listening. If he was standing up, she'd march right in there and shove him back into the chair herself. I shouldn't be here, said Eileen. Her voice had moved. She was the one on her feet, not Sam. It's all right, he said, gently but firmly. The rolling pin was her grandmother's. There's too much history there. The plant pot, she painted it for you. And the necklace was a birthday gift you gave her. They're all relational. They're all about how she was with others. It's too muddy. But there is a pin on your lapel. Kitty heard a sharp intake of breath. Eileen's voice was wavering when she spoke again. She bought it for me when she was in Brussels with school. They went to see the headquarters of the EU. I forget what it's called. She thought it was beautiful, and she wanted it for herself, but she felt guilty. You'd given her so much pocket money, and she'd spent it all on herself. So she gave it to you when she came home. A tiny, broken sob escaped from Eileen. I didn't know that. Please sit down. That'll be enough for me to work with, said Sam. Okay, well, I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah, it's weird. Sam is so much more serious here, and that's really interesting. I remember when I first wrote the first episode of the show, he was a lot more, I don't know, gentle and almost wise beyond his years than he ended up being. I wrote that episode and then I sort of performed it because I'm not an actor, really. Or at least I wasn't back then. I can't really say that now. I've done 40 episodes of an entire show. I am an actor, goodness me. And yeah, so I, it was the first time I'd really done anything like that. So um, I got in contact with my sister, Daisy, who plays regular Call of Beth on the show. She is an actor. They've done acting at uni and outside of it as well. I, I just kept finding that it wasn't clicking for me. The character wasn't working for me. And um, yeah, I talked to her a little bit about it and then I revisited the character 
and thought about what I thought was missing and that's how we ended up with the kind of happy-go-lucky Sam that we have at the start of season one. Um, yeah, but like a lot of the grounding points are here and I think that's really interesting because I wrote this, like I say, really near the beginning of the conception of the show. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, next week I will be back and I will have some announcements for you next week, which is exciting. I will speak to you then. Have a lovely day. Have a lovely week. Try and do something nice for yourself. And until I speak to you next, stay spooky, faithful listeners. Tune in. Get spooky. (laughs) 